The Four Horsemen. What you have here is the Four Horsemen, united, live, and exciting color. Um, not those Four Horsemen. These Four Horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's the Four Horsemen. And it wasn't just my mom. It wasn't just Adam's mom. <laughs> Hi, Adam's mom. One of them was me. It was probably my While mom. I was too. sitting here. Oh, so we got four. Never mind. Adam was saying we had we had uh, ten, ten uh, viewers at one time you know, last, last week. week. So we want to thank you, and we also want to uh, remember you in prayer because you have nothing better to do than to watch this on, on a Tuesday afternoon. So God, <laughs> God bless all those homebound saints that uh, have nothing better to do but watch us on a Tuesday afternoon. Hi, welcome to the Four Horsemen podcast. I am your host today, Benjamin Kerfman. I have with me uh, to my left, uh, Raymond Brickhouse. And I have uh, Adam, who doesn't, or one of them doesn't know how to turn the phone down. Um, I hope that wasn't me, but I think it uh, was. Adam Black, uh, pastor of Westwood Baptist Church in Asheville, across the street from Satan's Yard Sale, which also does weddings now. Praise the Lord. And... uh, (laughs) <laughs> and uh Sorry. he's in the belly of the beast and we have uh reverend ben heisey here from uh are you lead pastor is that right yeah is that what you, we call yeah, you? you can call me lead pa- i've been called a lot worse. he's the lead pastor he's the visionary at uh pole creek, creek yeah. baptist elite yeah, lead uh pastor of preaching vision and uh man that makes the me art really smart yeah the arts. <laughs> I, I, I i love doing that i used to always try to come up with some kind of illustrious name for myself um because i never had any like real jobs that mattered you know so it's like (laughs) you got to come up with something that sounds really good but i hear that anyway so here we are today and uh i'm given the task of hosting today so uh i wanted to pick something that hopefully we can fight a little bit about because one of the things i realized for those of you if there's any of you left who were like our early listeners um, you, you'll know that, uh, the first year that we did this podcast, we had, uh, quite a bit of, of, uh, disagreement on various things. And, uh, as the Lord has worked in Adam's heart over the last couple of years, <laughs> I'm not uh, we, we, we've come into a lot more agreement uh, on issues. And so we don't did, argue as much he, lately. Did he get saved? Uh, I don't know. He hasn't had the third birth yet, I don't think. Oh, okay. But uh, we're still we're still praying. Uh, once he he's only like halfway through Romans, so I got you. Um, but but yeah, uh, it used to be a little more contentious, and and so part of the point of the whole podcast was let's pick some issues that maybe we don't see eye to eye on, mm-hmm. and try to have civil civilized conversation. And part of the reason why we're doing this on audio and on video is so people can see that we love each other. We're you know, I didn't make you guys come out here. You know, uh, all of our churches are different. We could all list uh, just different ways and different cultures, different uh, settings, different stages, you know, in the life of a church. Um, and then theologically, we all have different backgrounds, different education, different uh, views on things. Um, but the point is to model, especially in the society today where things are so divisive, to model uh, what healthy conversation looks like that, you know, uh, anybody that's listening to this knows, you know, Adam and I are kind of on different ends of the spectrum when it comes to uh, you know, outreach in the church and programs and what things is like that. church, you know, yeah, you know, um, and and so you know, we, we have disagreements on that, and yet at the same time, we're brothers in the Lord. And I know Adam's preaching the gospel and wants to see people saved and uh, wants to 
reach that and that, you know, ministry is going to look a little different when you're across the street from Satan's yard sale than, <laughs> than it is when, you know, I'm like a, you know, across the street from, you know, the parsonage or something. Um, so anyways, so our topic for today is on the Lord's Supper, also known as communion, also known by some heretics as the Eucharist. Um, and, uh, <laughs> And sorry, so, I was delayed. It's like it hit me like a he's Mack like, truck. Sorry, there went two of our watching right ukuleles. Now. What? Yeah. That Episcopal that was watching that's, just left. That's, left the chat. That's that podcast. instrument on Moana. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> so, uh, so the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table or Communion. There's many, many names for it um, all throughout history. This is something, as far as we can tell from church history, that the early church practiced regularly. Um, there's debates on how regularly, but that they practice regularly all the way from the time of Jesus up until now. And uh, we're not so diverse in the sense that we're all Baptist here, uh, some form of Baptist. And so the traditional kind of Baptist thing for me growing up was, you know, fifth Sundays, you know, quarterly, uh, maybe on like Easter or something like that, uh, a special occasion. And uh, in the Baptist tradition, like if you're listening, you come from a different tradition. The way it usually communion looks like in a Baptist church is, is uh, everybody has individual elements. So you have these little plastic cups. I didn't even think to bring in any here to show, but these little plastic cups. And usually there's some, uh, for Baptists, it's a grape juice, uh, like Welch's that goes in there. Um, and wine, and then some form of bread, you know, or a wafer, or, you know, di- different kind of things. Oyster some, cracker. Some form of bread, yeah. yeah. Um, Hawaiian sweet rolls, you know, whatever. Um, and they've got the bread in the cup that obviously is representative of what Jesus talks about in Scripture. And um, the church I grew up in, which I think a lot of churches do this, is that, you know, they have plates that the little cups sit in. And uh, uh, when, when I was growing up, the deacons would actually come down the row and they would pass them down the row. And so uh, whoever uh, was a believer was allowed to, to take those and then mm-hmm. they would usually read the scripture about that and we would all take them together and so i would say that's probably kind of a pretty normal um setting in, in baptist life i know like um for united Methodists, a lot of them do intention where they'll actually they have one cup and they'll take uh they'll pinch off a piece of bread and dip it in the cup and take it Which I've never understood. um I, you know well i think that it's supposed to be unifying to do the the common cup or whatever um, but what about the bread being dipped? The one who dipped is the one who betrayed. <laughs> That's the thing I've always wondered. Amen, brother. <laughs> I've yeah, always wondered I, that. I'm you know, I never, I never cup, thought about that, but, that, but uh, what's weird. I've always a, wondered yeah. that. There's a sermon in there somewhere. Adam. There, there was an, there was an Anglican church that I attended. A buddy of mine was uh, going through uh, ordination, and they did the Lord's Supper every week. And they had a station where you could actually take of the cup, and it was a common cup, meaning you walked up, you drank from the same cup. If you were not comfortable with that, then they had a station that you could go and you could actually dip your bread there. So for them, it was more of a, you know, if you're a germaphobe kind of person, you don't want to drink after somebody. Um, but for others, there may be more meaning to it. But for oh, them, I that see. was the real reason why they were doing Yeah, the, 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 um, denomination that my wife grew up in they actually used common cups so they actually passed a cup one cup that everybody drank out of and do you care uh, to share what denomination uh it was uh well they would say that they're not a denomination because they're just christians but it's plymouth brethren is oh yeah te- okay. it's technically the denomination i got you um but um but in their tradition it's smaller in in a, in a house church so you're not talking about 100 people you're talking about you know basically kind of extended family members and right. so 
um, they they were fine with that, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's all kinds of questions we could go into on this issue, but one of the reasons why I wanted to pick it is it's become something that I'm really passionate about in recent years. The more that I've kind of uh, studied it and thought about it, and specifically, I want to talk about the, the in the context of the local church, um, the Lord's Supper. Uh, what is its importance or what's its significance? And so. For me growing up, like I said, we would do it on fifth Sundays and it was like just a thing where we remember Jesus and it's a respectful thing to do, you know, to take a moment and think about Jesus dying on the cross and that that was important. That was basically the extent of it. Um, in our church uh, right now, which we'll, we'll get to the frequency question, but we actually take it every week at the end of service. And uh, our pastors are, are in agreement that in, in over the last 10 years, almost 11 years uh, this month of revitalization, the one thing that we have changed in our church that has produced the most uh, spiritual growth is weekly communion. That's, that's actually the one thing that we've changed that we've seen uh, God use more than anything else that we've done uh, in the church in the last decade. Um, and so because I've seen seen it, I thought, let's have a conversation about it. One, different perspectives of how do you, you know, how do you do it? How often do you do it? Uh, what do you believe about it? Even theologically, I think even within Baptist, you know, there's different, different understands of those kind of things. And then also um, just for the benefit of those listening. So if somebody's listening and they're in their church and maybe their church is having a conversation or even for them personally, when they're taking communion, maybe they'll think about it a little bit differently um, and it'll be a blessing to them. Or maybe you're a pastor that's listening and you're kind of wrestling through this issue and you kind of want to just hear some different takes on it and maybe you can take something from it. That'll be valuable. So that, that's kind of the direction I want to go in is specifically in the local church. So um, so let's let's talk uh, frequency because that, that, that's a big one. So uh, we'll, we'll just start with Ben and kind of go around. So how often do you guys uh, take communion right now? And what would be your preference if you could take it however you personally wanted to? Um, <clears throat> so right now and traditionally, it was like quarterly. So four times a year. Um, not necessarily on the fifth Sunday. Normally, you know, we try to do it uh, at least a couple of them on specific Sundays, like Palm Sunday is one that we always like to do Lord's Supper on. So, um, and honestly, I'm fine with that. I think, you know, in First uh, Corinthians 11, where it talks about, and as often as you do this. So, you know, I think that just means whenever you do it, just do this in remembrance of me. So I'm okay with that. Okay. Yeah. A- Adam, what about you? We're in the same boat. <clears throat> I would say we actually do it more than quarterly. Okay. Um, but we don't have a specific time. You asked preference. I wished we would do it every week. Um, I'm surprised to hear that. Uh, and, well, and, and, and I'll, we're supposed to fight, Adam. Come on, let's oh, quit agreeing with. We you. may not so fight. <laughs> we won't. I don't think we'll Sorry. fight on this. Um, <laughs> but I think that <clears throat> all of us. I, I'm assuming. I mean, I grew up with the traditional quarterly. The deacons come, mm-hmm. that type of thing. And I know the, when I first went to Westwood, I did it invitation style. You know, where you reflected and then you came. And took it. And I had a group of people that would not come and do it because we didn't do it the traditional way. Um, and they wanted to debate me on it. I'm like, they're like, you don't, you're not doing it biblically. Well, what? Okay, so are we going to sit around a table? I was like, if you want to do it biblical, I will bring the wine. That's exactly what I said. That, didn't <laughs> that go, does sound like something you'd that say. That didn't go over well. <laughs> but they were so, it, it rocked just changing the way it was done. It rocked him. I mean, I even had a kid that was in my youth group. Uh, he's a youth pastor now. He came to our church and we did it. He goes, that was so weird. 
I'm like, <laughs> really? He had never took it that way. So we get into the tradition of it, right. but, uh, but again, we do it probably four to five times a year. Um, but I would prefer to do it weekly. So. Now, Ray, first off, how long have you been at your church? Cause you've only been there a little while. I, I've been at Oak Forest Baptist for about uh, three and a half months now. Okay, okay. Close to so, so you haven't really been there long enough to kind of make a lot of changes, probably. So you're probably right. walking into kind of however they used to do it before. Correct. So how, so how do they do it currently? They they do it quarterly. Uh, since I've been there, we, um, we've actually done it twice now, so it was a little bit closer, I guess, but... Um, Quarterly is the way it's been done. Um, I don't know that I would go all the way uh, to weekly, but personally, I would love to do it monthly. Um, I, I think that the frequency of it does need to increase. Um, I, I feel like, and, and I grew up, well, I say I grew up but in the in the Baptist church, but in churches that I had been a part of, it was typically uh, quarterly. And, uh, but I'd like to see it done monthly and then, you know, maybe a couple of special occasions for it to be done. Um, I, I don't personally jump to weekly. Um, maybe if I it's saw, a, it's okay. To disagree maybe here. if I saw the, no, no, but I'm, <laughs> I'm just thinking, you know, I, I like the idea of doing it weekly. I've, I've been to churches where they do it weekly. Um, but I'm a little just leery of losing something there if you're not careful. Uh, I, I don't want it to be something where it, it just becomes something you do. And so I, I guess trying to make it special is, is would be an important part of that. Yeah, and, and I would say that's probably the number one objection. Like yep. everybody I've talked to when they've said, okay, well, you know, what, what would be your reason for not doing it every week? That's usually – uh, the first thing that I hear is, is like, I don't want it to just become a routine and people not take it seriously or, or um, you know, just kind of see it as just like an activity and, and not, not really take it seriously. For me, the reason, the main reason I want to do it um, weekly, and this might sound weird, but it forces me to get to Jesus. It forces me every week in sermon preparation to get to Jesus. Every And, and you say, well, you should do that anyway. I get it. But when you build and you can build your sermon around it, you know, cause there's a time of reflection to reflect. Here's the sin in my life. What did the scripture say? So it almost helps in preaching to, to get to the Lord's supper. Cause one of the things that I never, um, that I never understood, and this is just the way I'm wired, but you know, it's like somebody's preaching on Jonah and then it's like, okay, pause. We're going to take the Lord's supper. Mm -hmm. Well, you gotta be able to, you know, flow it, you know, get to Jesus somehow, some way. And I think that's for me, that's one of the big reasons why I would want to do it every week is because it forces you to get to the gospel, look at reflection of my sin and repentance and things of that nature. So that's the number one reason why I would want to do it every week. But the objection is it would lose its luster. And two, getting the people to help, <laughs> do mm -hmm. it, you know, the deacons help set it up every week, but then to say, Hey, every week we're going to, I could hear. Uh, right. Right. Uh, it would end up being, well, it's, <laughs> it's definitely a change. So for us, wh when I came five and a half years ago, it was, it was uh fifth Sundays is when it was. So four times a year, um, unless there was, a, you know, like you said, Ray, maybe a special occasion, Easter or something like that. Um, they would do that. Um, actually when I did my first interview with the leadership here at Barberville, this was one of the questions that I asked them is, 
what is your view of the Lord's Supper as elders? And uh, what do you think about uh, the frequency of the Lord's Supper? Um, so that was actually on my mind kind of initially. And so the the first year that I was here, everything just, I wanted to kind of get to know people. And I've obviously, I had other ministry things that I was doing because I came in as a family pastor. So I was, that was my primary focus. Um, but then as we brought on other elders and had conversations and things like that about it, um, we began seeing the value in it. And so what we did is uh, the following year, like in January of the following year, we started uh, doing it first Sunday of the month. And so we started telling people, hey, first Sunday of the month, we're going to be taking communion together. And uh, we uh, feel like this is beneficial. And and then whenever every time we would do it, we would try to kind of educate a little bit about it. Of like, okay, why are we doing this? What do we believe about it? Why do we think it's a good thing? So we did that for a year where we did it 12 times that year. And then the following year, we switched it to weekly. And, and, and by that time, we even had some members that are like, hey, can't we do this more often? We're like, yes, <laughs> um, yes, we can. And so uh, it's probably been, I guess, three, probably three years now that we've done it uh, on a weekly basis. Um, and like I said, I think that change has actually done a whole lot culturally and spiritually in the church. Um, and so uh, as far as uh, methodology, because like uh, you guys had mentioned how you do it. So what we do is, is we have, um, we have like your typical Baptist uh, communion table up front. You know, a lot of churches have that in front of the pulpit. So we've got one up there and we set our elements up there. So we actually, uh, one of our pastors does that every uh, Sunday morning. He comes in and uh, sets up the trays and everything for it. And so you, uh, so you guys there. set it up. Yeah. So one of our elders does, and, it, and that's not a um, theological thing as far as setting it up. He just really enjoys doing that. Right. And, and that's just something that he likes to do before Sunday school. So we have a deacon too, that sometimes he'll, uh, he'll fill in or set it up. But um, um, so we, so he brings it out, has a cloth that he puts over it and all that kind of stuff. And then at the end of service, we uh, will close the sermon with a prayer then we offer instructions uh, about the Lord's Supper, who's allowed to take it, uh, you know, why they should be taking it, that kind of thing, um, letting people know we're available for prayer, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then uh, we have a, a station on either side of the front that we put the elements out in. And um, we started uh, uh, with COVID, we started double cupping. So we just have two, like we have two of those little cups. One of them's got the bread underneath and then it's got the juice cup on top. So people just have to grab the one. So there's like a hand sanitizer thing and like a little thing, like if people want to use that. Um, so that way they don't have to actually touch any part of the tray. They just grab their cup and go. So people people that are going to take it, come down, take it, go back to their seats. And then uh, when they're done, we read, the, we read the, that scripture out of 1 Corinthians 11 is usually what I read. Right. Um, uh, where Paul's talking about that. And then we take the elements together um, and do how them, how take them together. So you take them all together. Yeah, so we take them all together after we read it, yeah. How much of the chapter do you guys read? Do you read the part about the examination as well? Yes. Okay. So so that was one of the, that that leads into the next question I was going to ask, which I was going to start with you anyway. Oh, so okay. um I, no, it's it's fine. So I was I was going to ask how do you guys set that up as far as um do you have requirements uh for who can participate and how do you communicate that to them? And I'll just tell you what ours are really quick. So um, we let people know that uh, any baptized believer in Jesus Christ can come. Uh, and we'll get into that in a minute because that can be controversial because I don't think that people that aren't Baptist are baptized, which is why I'm a Baptist. Um, but any baptized believer 
uh, is allowed to come. And so they don't have to be a member of our church. So we mm-hmm. tell visitors, if you're visiting with us, you're a baptized believer in Jesus, you're welcome to to come and participate with us today. Um, and then and then there's two qualifications that Paul gives there. One is that you don't need to have any kind of unconfessed sin before God before you come, and you don't, don't need to have anything against a brother or a sister before you come. Mm-hmm. And so if there's anything in your heart against a brother or sister or any unconfessed sin between you and the Lord, then you will eat and drink judgment on yourself if you take these. And uh, and basically, uh, God, there's, a, there's potential that God will kill you if you don't take this seriously and do it right. Um, and so we lay that out every single week in front of people. Um, and then we invite people to come like, Hey, if you meet all those criteria, if you have a clear conscience before the Lord, then this is a blessing for you. We want you to come and be a part of it. Um, and you come and take the elements, go back to your seat and then we'll take all those together. And, um, so, uh, that's kind of the way that we set up. So we, the term for that, for those who don't know, is called fencing the table. We're basically, we're not putting a wall in front of it. We're not stopping people from coming, but we are putting a fence there of saying, you know, you, you do need to take it seriously. And that also has to do with the <laughs> theology of what we believe about ha- is happening there. Right. I um, mean, if you just take a memorial view, nothing's really going to happen to you probably. So it's not as, uh, not as much of an issue. Um, but for us, we do think that spiritual things are happening there. And so we want to warn people, uh, as Paul did, of like, hey, this, you know, this isn't a snack. Like, right. you, need, you need to, you need to take it seriously sure, before you sure. come down here. So that's so that's kind of what that looks like for us mm-hmm. on a weekly basis. And then usually uh, after service, sometimes we will have people come up and say, like, I, you know, I actually didn't take it today, and here's what's going on in my life, and you know, and so that's one of the ways that the Lord's used it in the church too, is is actually in kind of helping people um, confess things or deal with things. I've seen people cross aisles before and pray with each other before they come down because they need to get something right. That's good. Um, and so there's things like that, that I've seen a really good fruit from of, of confronting people. Basically uh, when you think about the, the classic Baptist altar call, you know, you're calling a person to be saved. I, my argument is that the word suffer is far superior to that because it applies to everyone. So if you're not a believer, it actually withholds you from coming to the table up. You cannot come unless you repent and get right with God. And you need to think about that right now while everybody else is doing this. And if you have unconfessed sin, you can't come either. And basically by not coming, what you're doing is confessing to everybody in this room that you're not right with God, whether that's as, as a believer or as an unbeliever. And there's some accountability there of, of, it's not unusual for people to say like, man, I had to call somebody up Saturday night cause I knew we had the Lord's supper Sunday and I knew I wasn't going to be able to come if I didn't get it right. Um, and so we feel like that's a much stronger invitation to respond to the preaching, um, than just somebody coming down for salvation or coming down for prayer because it's really affecting their conscience, right. you know, whether they can do it or not. So that's, that's part of the, the argument there. So, um, uh, for you guys, Ben, uh, what does it look like? Do you, uh, lay out any requirements or anything, or is it just kind of like anybody can come and do it? So what we do is, um, since COVID, we do have the prepackaged elements that we give to people as they enter the sanctuary. Um, there's no questions asked to those people as they enter, like, you, know, you only take this if you're saved and you've been baptized or something like that. We've never even tied baptism with the requirement. We just say, believers in Christ, if you've been saved, then you qualify to participate. Really, the qualifications are laid out um, right before, and that's when um, I try to all the time. There have been a few times I haven't. I try to read um, not the whole chapter of First uh, Corinthians eleven, but at least the part about the examination and the part about the actual taking of the supper. And then the issue that that church at Corinth had of people misusing the Lord's supper to basically the rich people who didn't have to work in the fields 
showed up early, ate all the food, then the workers came in and all the food was gone. You know, that was a very selfish um, heart that they had. So, you know, we talk about that, um, and I make sure to let them know, you know, if you have any unconfessed sin, now is the time to get it right with God. So um, so we do make sure, but I wouldn't say we really police it, though. So um, if you were to ask me, are you sure that no one in your church takes the Lord's Supper that hasn't been saved, I would have to say, I don't know. It's very possible, and it's possible also for an unregenerate child to grab one and their parents let them do that. Right. You know, and there have been periodic times, not every time we do it, where we say, you know, and if your child wants this, please withhold that from them. We have said that a few times, but again, we're not so much policing it. But um, I do believe that we could get better at a lot of that, and I believe that... um, you know, as far as a church member in good standing and a Christian really even in good standing, that, um, you know, I think we do need to be more careful about how we educate people. And if they take it anyways, then, like you said, they're essentially damning themselves, you know, so that's between them and God. But we can at least lay out the facts, right? you know. And I, and I would just add, uh, to clarify mm-hmm. where we're at, um, uh, it's a similar thing of basically we're warning anybody can come up there. We're warning, right. we're warning you of what's good for you. And we want it to be a blessing for you. And if you, if you know that you're not right and you come, it's not going to be a blessing for you. Right. And so, like you said, you know, we've never had to like stand there and like point at somebody and be like, you can't come up here, you know, or whatever. Right. Now there are incidences of church discipline where that is one of the consequences is mm-hmm. you are not allowed to come, right. but that's a private conversation. That's not a Sunday morning, you know, go sit back in your seat type conversation. Right. And usually that's, that would be f- further down in the process, you right. know, of, uh, Hey, you know, you've been cheating on your wife for six months. Don't try to come to the communion table. <laughs> like you got some things, we know you got some things to get it's right. About you and God, not uh, you. It's us. It's between you and God. Right. Right. <clears throat> right. Yeah. So Adam, what about you? Do you, what kind of instructions or requirements do you guys have? We do it very similar to you guys. Um, I, I would say when you were saying that <clears throat> we don't have, I don't believe I've added baptized believer. Um, I, I do see the merits in it. Um, but I do think, as opposed to passing them out before or even during, I think a response definitely adds to it, it is a they have to think before they act. I do think that that so I would say that we do it pretty much like you guys do it. Um, I go through first Corinthians 11 um, and read it and really emphasize these things um, that you can bring judgment upon yourself. And I, I have had multiple people not take it. Um, and they have told me, and I, and I've even said that, I said, if you, if you feel like you can't take it, you know, come talk to me after the service and we'll pray. And and that has happened. So I I would say that we do it like you do it pretty much. Um, I just don't have the, the baptized believer piece. Again, I I see the merit in that, but I also, you know, I'm not going to say I disagree with it, but I see both sides of that. So yeah, for sure. And I'll go ahead. Ray, what about you guys? Uh, yeah, I'll just say for me personally, since I, I, I just came into this church, not not a, a historical standard there, but um, I I came up in a Baptist church uh, when I when I first started really following Jesus, and I heard a pastor. Um, he, he was a, a a great guy, great pastor. Uh, but every time the Lord's Supper was offered, he never said anything in, in Corinthians there apart from take, eat, this is my body or, mm-hmm. you know, drink. Um, and as I began studying more and more and more and more, um, 
I, I began to read more and more and more. And then I read the rest of the story and I went, wow, why is he not mentioning this? I mean, if, uh, if this is true, I mean, if this is, and, and I believe it is, then why are we not telling people about it? Why are we not telling people that they can eat and drink judgment upon mm -hmm. themselves? And so when I became a pastor myself, went into ministry, um, anytime I had an opportunity to do that, I would make sure that I emphasize that. And I still do that. Uh, we just had communion this past Sunday. Um, uh, the last time we had communion, which was right as soon as I, I arrived, um, I went through it and, and taught through it, uh, taught through the chapter. Uh, and so that was the whole message of the day. And this past Sunday, of course, that, that was not the whole message. But even then, I, I read through, um, told them, I do say baptized believer. Um, and, and particularly for me, I believe that baptism is, is probably the first step of obedience. Mm -hmm. You know, when John the Baptist was speaking, he said, repent and be baptized. Jesus said, repent and be baptized. And then later on, we get this uh, command as well for the Lord's Supper to be had. So I, I just take that as that needs to be said. And so I, I let everybody know that this is for baptized believers. They don't have to be mm -hmm. in our church necessarily or members or, you know, whatever. But if you're a baptized believer and um, you, you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus, um, then you can partake in this. But if you have unconfessed sin in your life, I give them the warnings. And I said, look, you know, these people, it says, this is the reason why some of you are sick and have died, mm -hmm. have gone to sleep, depending on translation that you're, you're reading. I said, you know, I don't believe that stopped. I, I don't believe that God just said in those days that you would eat and drink judgment upon yourself. Uh, maybe you could even look at your life and, and you've been questioning why are things just not, they're, they're not good. I mean, it just it seems like everything in my life's falling apart. Could it be because I'm not obedient? Could, you know, Maybe even because of the last Lord's Supper I took, I, I ate and drank judgment upon myself. Uh, and so I make that very clear. And then right before we even pass out the elements, I have a time of prayer. And so I, I implore them, you know, this is your time to make it right with Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to become a follower of Jesus, you know, this, you know, you, you, you need to cry out to him, uh, ask him to forgive you of your sins, those sort of things. Um, if you're a believer, and you've got unconfessed sin, you need to make that right now. And then I will pray. I will let them pray while I'm praying silently as well. Mm -hmm. And then I'll have a public prayer. Um, and then I will even tell them, it's okay to let it pass by you. Look, there's there's no shame in you saying, hey, I, I you know, maybe the person you got problem with is not in the room, and you, you need to make that right. There's no shame in you letting that pass you by. Right. Let it go. I would much rather you do that than to eat and drink judgment right. upon yourself today. I, I would much rather see you go to repentance than do that. And so let it pass by you. It's perfectly fine. Just rush to make that right, you know, afterwards. And so that's essentially what I do. Cool. So um, so two of you guys said that you don't mention the baptized thing. I'm going to make a really quick argument on why... <laughs> Every Baptist church needs to make sure that it's baptized believers, okay? Okay. So here, so here's my argument. We would agree that part of the church, and by church we mean uh, uh, 
Baptist. Be- believers who have covenanted together in, in a local church is what we're talking right. about, right? Certainly. So in a local church, um, the reason why they, or part of the reason why they are able to take communion is because they have fellowship with one another and fellowship with Christ. We would all agree on that, right? Correct. And we would say that a person who is in unrepentant sin is breaking their fellowship with Christ and with his church, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we would define sin as uh, something that is breaking God's law or is uh, going against one of his commandments, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. We would all agree that the Bible mm-hmm. commands us as Christians to be baptized, yep. right? Certainly. As Baptists, we would agree that uh, wedding an infant is not actual biblical baptism. Correct. Okay. So if you follow that logic all the way back, a person who has been baptized as an infant has never actually been baptized correct. as a Christian, it is a sin for them to not be baptized, and it is an unrepentant sin for them to continue on sinning by continuing to refuse to be baptized, which causes them to break fellowship from Christ and the church. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not saved, but it means that that fellowship is broken, which prevents them from coming to the Lord's Supper because they're in unrepentant sin by refusing to be baptized. So that that's the, that's mm-hmm. the, that's the theological argument to get right, there. Now, right. that's uncomfortable for a lot of people to hear because like, that sounds really mean. This is the reason why people used to drown Baptist as a joke, <laughs> uh, and and our Baptist forefathers were persecuted by Puritans and Presbyterians and others because of this kind of doctrine mm-hmm. of them basically saying we have fellowship with Christ and you don't because you have not been obedient to Scripture. Right. So if you ever wonder, you know, we we take for granted today that you know you can just go visit a Baptist church or a Methodist church or an Episcopal church or Anglican church or whatever with basically no consequences at all in America, not realizing that not that long ago in history, choosing to be a Baptist would have would have gotten you put in prison or possibly even killed for saying that you believed in the theology that we all believe in. So right, right. I want to point that out. We can do a separate yeah. episode on baptism, but I would say that theologically that's mm-hmm. the reason our statement of faith actually says, our, our church documents actually say that it has to be a baptized believer in Jesus right. Christ to come to the Lord's table. Um, because uh, we would cons- theologically, we would consider others to be in persistent, unrepentant sin, um, which it's a hard pill to swallow. Like I have Presbyterian friends and other friends that I love, and I, like I said, I believe they're saved, but I do think they're wrong, and and I think scripturally, I can make an argument right. that they're wrong. So, so that that's my argument for that. So, a couple of days ago, Lecrae said on Twitter. Oh man, oh, man. That, that's uh, a change of direction. Wow. Yeah. yeah, he didn't want no pushback. Yeah. 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 Hey, we could have responded then. I mean, you could have uh, no, there is no response. I'm right. That's that's it. That when one's not. A, up I for guess discussion. when he's the host, he gets the. Well, he gets nah, the see, call. I made you guys agree with all of it before I like tied it all together. So, we, like, we agreed with the. Yeah, yeah, the, that's know, right. I don't know. Um, I like so set up right there. Yeah, so a couple days ago, uh, Lecrae says on Twitter, he says, "I just did communion at home with wheat bread and apple juice. I hope this still counts." Owen Strand says, nope, doesn't count. So um, so let's talk about, I mean, that, that, so that brings up a couple questions, which are, for one, what are the elements of communion? What are acceptable elements for communion? And two, can you, take, can, can you take communion just anywhere? Can you take it at home? Can you take it at summer camp? You know, uh, or does it have to be in, in a building, in a church building? Does it have to be on a Sunday? Here we go. What are, what are those kind of, what are those kind of things look like? So, so first off, first off, let, let's talk about elements, right? Uh-huh. We already made the joke about wine, but, but I know, I know of Presbyterians that will say, if you do not use basically matzah, if you do not use unleavened bread, similar to what they used 
in, in uh, Judaism and you do not use real wine, then it's not really communion. Like it has to be alcoholic wine and unleavened bread. If you use leavened bread, it doesn't count. If you use grape juice, it doesn't count. I've heard people argue to say if you use a red wine and uh, and not a white wine, it doesn't count. Or if you use a white wine and not a red wine, it doesn't count. So there, there's a lot of arguments over kind of the elements. Um, I've been in services where there's been, you know, all kinds of various bread from uh, crackers to little wafer things to whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so so what, what do you guys think? What, what are the proper or does it matter? Does it matter if you do like Lecrae does and you just use wheat bread and apple juice or you use milk and Lucky Charms, whatever you've got in the pantry? Does it actually matter at all what we use uh, for the elements of communion? Well, I could tell you what our bylaws say. Our bylaws actually speak to that a little bit. That's interesting. It, it, okay. It, it's more of an <laughs> al- allusion to as opposed to a direct statement. But it says the Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience whereby members of the church partake of the bread and the fruit of the vine. Oh, I, I see that so, Baptist theology so there. So grapes. It's got to be grapes. Crushed red fruit At of Pole the Creek, vine. it's got to be grapes. Um, I was actually look, trying to find... It couldn't be like orange juice? It's not a vine. Oh, it's a tree. okay, okay. So maybe Muscadine? raspberry? Raspberry juice? No, that's, is that a bush or is that a I vine? Don't <laughs> blackberry. Blackberry? Black, yeah. So potentially vine. blackberry. There we yeah. go. Maybe. That's like that's but southern, we all know. southern communion right <laughs> yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. So I just thought that was interesting, though, that our yeah, bylaws cool. actually say the fruit of the vine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and 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 what did it say about? Did it just say bread, or did it say it unleavened just said bread? bread okay, so you said can partake of the bread and fruit of the vine. And I was really, uh, it's interesting too that it says whereby members of the church. So technically, our bylaws are saying that our Lord's suppers are only for the membership of the church, which I've heard before. Which I don't we have not exactly. So, so that's one of the other issues, right? Open <laughs> yeah. versus closed communion. Yeah, that's right. But because yeah. because historically Baptists practiced regenerate church membership, that mm-hmm. is one of the ways that they protect that is by saying, if you're a member, we mm-hmm. know that you've confessed Jesus as Lord and been baptized and been baptized, See, and that qualifies you as the, yeah, because you guys would not have unbaptized members. Correct. I would think that's correct. Um, we would not. So, so, so technically, if you if, so you if might be violating closed, your bylaws, oh, brother. You if, might, if we're having open communion, <laughs> communion, we may you, be. You might have to go talk to them deacons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If we hadn't had this podcast today, I'd have had no. Hey, idea, that's a good man. way to bring your membership up. Hey, this is members only. If you <laughs> yeah. want to join, we're having a class after yeah. church. If, today. if you're not the, a member, there's the door. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Which I've had debate with people on that because I I dis I mean I know you didn't know I disagree with that because right. it's like if I were to come to Pole Creek, it's like well nope Adam can't. Like it, but see, we don't, we don't. But how do they, how do they know that you're right. a Christian? Though? We never enforce that. Well, how do you know anybody's a Christian? Baptism. So I was baptized twice. And, yeah. Right. Right. But <laughs> yeah, but the first one didn't take. But the, no, well, no, there's no, no way you've only been baptized once. Uh, you got true. wet. That's true. Before. That's true. <clears throat> but I got wet as a baby too. I got the certificate for it. But yeah. I wasn't baptized. Yeah. Nice. If you're responsible, I, not looking at it from a, a, a pastoral side of things or an elder side of things, mm-hmm. I could see where I want to make sure that whoever's taking it in, in my context, in, in the local church that I minister to, I want to make sure that those people are followers of Jesus, that they're sure. baptized believers. And so I could see maybe the argument where even if Adam's coming down from down the road, you know, he's a part of another church, they're a sister church, they, they believe in regenerate, you know, membership, the whole works. Um, 
I don't know him necessarily. I, I, I don't have that history there. And so I could kind of see that argument a little bit there where, I, you know, I'm responsible here. God's given me the calling to, to be responsible for the people that are here. So I could kind of see that to a degree, but I, I wouldn't do it myself, Yeah, I, I'm one, I, but I could see it. I'm with you. I, I get that. And I think if yeah. that's what a local church wants to do, I respect that. Like if I visit yeah. somewhere and they said, you can't do this because you're not a member. I would respect that, but we take the approach of basically like what we said. We're we're warning people, but at the end of the day, it's their conscience between them and the Lord as right, far as right. whether they can. And do that's it or not. and that's my thing because that's something I have moved on because it used to be I didn't believe in a closed table. That might sound silly because it was always my view is it's there. God's going to be the one dealing the punishment, not me. So that was always kind of my view of it, but I do understand now why there's some elements of a closed table. But when it comes to, you know, only church members, again, that goes to, it's between them and God. And we're just, we're just the, we're just the, we're just warning. Here's what the Bible says. And here's what God will do. It's nothing that I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's something that God's going to do if you are in disobedience to this. And so I think that if you try to add <clears throat> more to it, or um, I just don't see how many circumstances are going to come up that you're going to uh, see a member of my church, sir. Will you please right. step aside here? We're going to have a discuss. I, I I don't see that happening. Right. Maybe it yeah. does happen. Well, and I know some people will only do that during like members' meetings. I mean, like, do you have like a they membership don't do communion card? regularly, so like right. whenever they do their meetings they'll take communion together as a church. And that's how they kind of enforce that. You right. know? And I get that makes sense to me. Cause I'm like, you know, you're there and you're doing it. It's about the only Sunday way you can practically like do it. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you're in a really small church, yeah. you know, if you're in a church that's got like 10 people in it, you can tell if there's a visitor there and you're like, we don't know you. <laughs> you so. have a checklist at yeah. the front, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and like I said, I think, I think, you, I think yeah. it's, that's probably kind of just a local church matter of them having right. to kind of hammer out, you know, how are we going to practically uh, do this? Well, I guess that's probably why, and, you know, I didn't, like I said, I didn't realize Pole Creek's uh, bylaws said that it's for church membership, but maybe that's why, and I don't know if that's a common uh, thing among churches. And Is that new? That's, the, the bylaws overall are new, but there were several elements that were just rolled over from mm-hmm. the old ones, so that is one of those. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, that would be a, yeah, that would be a conversation to have, right? Yeah. Because so technically, that's a closed communion. Yeah, that, yeah. The language there is closed language. Yeah. Yep. Um, so then, yeah, I mean, you, that would be a conversation you would have to have about. But do you that. think the closed part is maybe common among Southern Baptist churches for the reason of, well, we know them, we know they're baptized, or they wouldn't be members. Um, we know them personally to where we can enforce if we need to, right? To not allow them to partake. Whereas if you are letting people who are not members, which I don't know how often that even happens at Pole Creek, how many times right. an outside person will come and partake of it. I've not observed that specifically, but maybe that's why, because now we can control it better if it's a closed communion. Well, I mean, that's like, we, you know, you because know? we do it every week, we see a variety of things. So I've had right. Presbyterians and Methodists that I know for sure have come in and taken communion, even though we've given the qualifications, because they consider themselves to be baptized in their right. conscience. Now, I warn them Will you still that. allow them to do that? We still allow them to do that. Because again, I, we're giving the warning, and right. they understand where we're at. Right. But uh, we both disagree on whether they're baptized or not. God knows whether they're baptized or not. And so, you know, that's something that he needs to work. I could be wrong. And maybe that person's right, and I'm not actually baptized. I don't know. I don't know. You know, ultimately, the Lord has to figure that but out. You have and to have an order. You have to have a yeah. 
But like, for instance, you know, we've had a family visit before that does not come from a Baptist background and they were, they were coming up and they were letting their child uh, take with them and had it brought, it brought, they brought it up in conversation of, you know, we're sorry we let him take it. He doesn't really understand kind of what it's all about or whatever. In that sense, I'm not going to be like, y'all better not come down here anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to be, yes, there is a warning there, Mm -hmm. but it's coming from a God of grace and mercy. So you have to understand, you know, if, well, if, if that person moment. is not sinning in their conscience, yeah. well, that's we different. Br- we Paul's bring- talking about people that know that it's sin for them to come that are just yeah. disregarding the warning of there God. There can be Those some people ignorance involved, and they just need to be educated. Really, the you know, if if you're you know fault. if you're having an affair or you were getting wasted last night and you have no rep- no conviction or repentance of sin and you think you can just stroll down there in front of everybody because everybody thinks you're fine you're going to get struck down mm-hmm. right. like like that's who the warning's for it's not for that person that's like well I just didn't understand it's the arrogance I made a yeah. mistake yeah it, it's the idea <clears throat> of why well, I have fellowship with these people and fellowship with God and God's saying you might fool these people into thinking you have fellowship with them but you don't have fellowship with me and I'm about to show you that, that I mean that that's what it's really about we right? bring our kids in they don't only the one who have been saved and have been baptized do partake in it. But our younger ones understand what's going on. They don't, they don't partake in it. So that's, um, but to go back to the elements, mm-hmm. does it matter? I would say it doesn't. Y'all do Captain Crunch communion? No, I mean. <clears throat> so you what, say it does not matter? It doesn't matter. I think it's more about the meaning behind, rather than the method. Right. Um, so I, I don't think it matters. Do we try to have unleavened bread and grape juice? Absolutely. But if, somebody in a third world country or it's not like, Oh, they're not really taking communion. So that's where my mind always goes to uh, when, when stuff like that happens. Well, what about people in third world country that don't have unleavened bread or, you know, grape juice or that place may not exist, but I'm just, that's where my mind goes to. So as long as they're reflecting in their own hearts and taking, you know, at least some sort of bread and some sort of drink, I don't think that it matters personally. So you think like, They could just use like Doritos and Mountain Dew, but if they were right in their heart, then it's fine. Well, I mean, if they've got Doritos and Mountain, well, I would say yes. Like if that's just what they the have. Problem with Doritos is, yeah. could you take just one bite? <laughs> MSG. One bit. After the Lord's Supper's, hey, I'm still back. I'm not gonna lie. Dude, when I was a kid back in the day, and they, I'd grab like three or four. I just, I'm not lying. <laughs> Lord forgive. <laughs> like this is snack time. <laughs> I love that's how that he's stuff. so spiritual. He got a little <laughs> extra. But I, I don't think that it matters. I personally don't, I, yeah. and I don't think that. I mean, it wasn't... Well, you know, I mean, I guess it's one of those things, too, where I guess scripturally it doesn't necessarily say you have to partake of the fruit of the vine. I guess if you're trying to stay as close to Scripture as possible, you'll do that. You'll use um, wine. That, well, see, that's, well, where, that's, that's where I go to. You know? Yeah, which, which I understand they did, but like, right. like the, the terminology is... Baptists in the American South are the only people in history that like haven't used wine. Right. I'll tell you a funny story. <laughs> well, that's, and and that's only cultural. for like the last like 100 years. That's like, cultural, isn't it? After, yeah, it's totally Prohibition? cultural. Prohibition? Is that what you're yeah. going to say? Yeah. yeah. Funny story, and real quick, my family was Lutheran in Montana, and I went out there to see them when I was 18, uh-huh. and they had communion went forward they they went forward and then they gave you the i guess it was a common cup now that i'm thinking about it but our whole family went it was like our whole pew mm-hmm. and we got down from the priest he handed it to me 
threw it back. I wasn't ready for it. And it gagged me and I burped like in front. And my cousin was eight at the time. He starts dying laughing in front of all of church. But oh I wasn't ready for the real McCoy. Well, yeah, the real McCoy. <laughs> the real, McCoy, the real son. And it was the real deal. Yeah. I wasn't ready like, for it. Like, this ain't no well. Just... <laughs> See, I, somebody can't hold their liquor, man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You should have done better at that age. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. I, I wouldn't go as far as, as where you go. I, I would think that we need to try to stay as close as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm okay with, with the fact that it's grape juice. I mean, I, I think representation wise, you know, a, 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 a red grape juice, you know, just, just, he said, so just, he because, said red. just because it looks like I said, it doesn't have to be. I'm just saying if, if we're trying to stay as close as possible, then maybe we could, we could get there. Could have been um, white. But but I would say fruit of the vine and bread is is where I would go. Like your and that's uh, the terminology. Say. Yeah, well, I think the terminology in Matthew. Yeah. is, he said, "I will not drink of this fruit of the vine mm-hmm. from now on." Right, and that was following right. the Lord's supper. And then before that, it just says, "And he broke the bread." So, yeah. yeah, and so I, I would I would stay there. I would right. stay in that lane uh, with with bread and fruit of the vine. But it, you know, I don't know that we have to have unleavened bread. I don't know that we necessarily have to have you know, alcoholic wine or anything like that, but just as long as it, it stays as mm-hmm. close as possible. I will give you, for instance, though, it's kind of along that story you just gave. We, we, this Anglican church, I told you we attended, uh, a buddy of mine was being ordained in the priesthood there. And, uh, so anyway, we, we went to this service and, uh, they had communion every week. And at the end of the service, you would go down and there was a common cup and the, the bread that you could dip in the cup over here or whatever. Well, we went down as a family. They asked you to come down as a family. So we went down as a family. And then uh, it, it's, you know, me and then my wife and then uh, my oldest boy and then my youngest boy. Well, the youngest, Caleb, uh, he goes up there and, and, and he takes it just like the rest of us. And we get back to the seat and he's got this awful look on his face. He's like, oh, that was horrible. And I said, what's, what's going on? He said, well, if I'd have known it was real wine, I wouldn't have taken such a, a big sip of it. <laughs> and uh, there was this other family that was walking by. He said, look at him. He's already drunk. There's some little kid who was just acting crazy. He said, look at him. He's already drunk. You know, So it, it was absolutely hilarious. I don't have a problem with wine, personally, uh, with communion. Right. Um, I, don't even, uh, yeah. I would probably, if I could choose, I would probably do that versus uh, grape juice, only because it's it's as close as I can possibly get to whatever. Let me scripture. add one thing to what I said. I think that if, like Lecrae, like I, I don't know his heart, but if I'm doing it disrespectfully, yeah, and almost in a, if I'm going at it in a rebellious sense, yeah. That's problematic. Yeah, I mean, but, but you got it doesn't matter attention. how it's done if you but, do it that way. Yeah, right. We might get there, but it goes to this what I'm talking about. Like, did you guys do uh, communion virtually? No. Okay, so that's my next question. Yeah. So the next question is what is what is the appropriate context for it? Like, does virtual count? Does youth camp count? Does doing it at home by yourself, like Lecrae did, count? What about homebound people, people in the hospital, giving them communion? Mm-hmm. What is what is the appropriate context for taking it? So I would say under the authority of the church. It needs to be under the authority of the church, which means under the authority of an elder, an elder of a local church, a church that you're a member of. Um, so what I would say is um, someone just doing it at home outside of the authority of the church, I don't believe that's biblical. 
Um, and I think that really ties into the accountability aspect of the Lord's Supper. How can someone be evaluated um, both, uh, you know, horizontally and vertically if they're doing it by themselves? Um, sometimes I need a brother or sister to say, hey, you know, you need to straighten up, you know? So I think you're foregoing that, the beauty of the Lord's Supper, when you do it outside of the fellowship of the church. Um, now, for someone who's homebound, um, I think if the pastor of the church wants to go to the nursing home or to that individual's home to baptize believer, you know, and all that, and wants to allow them to have the Lord's Supper there, I still see the elder being there, but that is under the authority of local church or even the de- a deacon. I'm fine with a deacon um, overseeing that. But I do believe the local church needs to be involved with that anytime it's done. Virtual, I don't know. I've not really worked that out in my mind. We've not done that virtually. I, d- I just don't know about that. We yeah. did it virtually once. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> and that's where I was going to, I said, get what you can get. Right. Um, and we did it. But I, I tend to agree with you mm-hmm. that it needs to fall under uh, the ch- uh, a church setting. So uh, yeah. at a youth camp or, you know, you name it, I would agree that, yes, they, they can do it. Um, just, but even. The, you think they can do it <clears throat> at a youth camp? Yeah. What about? I mean, not, like yeah. if, if. Well, like Chase is there, or your youth pastor's there, yeah. Like, yeah. But it, but if like if a representative, an elder, or deacon's not there, they wouldn't really know how to help that person know if they're ready to be able to educate right. them, possibly not know their personal life or how they live their life. Yeah. But I think if a I think if a representative from the church, as far as an elder or deacon is there, I could I could probably see that then. And this falls under baptism. My, I know we're not going there. But yeah, that's but the my question. I've had there's yeah. a connection there. But yeah. my 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 connection uh, and my, the way I would look at that though is baptism. why why do you have to do it at camp? Mm-hmm. Why can they not do it when they are back in the confines? And I don't mean confines in a bad way, but mm-hmm. why why can they not wait? Um, you know, I had a conversation with a camp director one time about baptism. They were having this huge evangelistic push one night, and yeah. kids were getting saved, and then they took them out to the, the lake and baptized them. Yeah. And I told him I didn't agree with that. Right. I said, I, you know, he's like, well, the youth pastor's here. I, I get that. Mm-hmm. But to me, that's a little bit more sacred. Um, you know, you're you're a parachurch organization, even though a, a youth pastor's there. Right. It's not within the the local church, and I right. think those things need to be as much as possible, kind of held within those boundaries of of the local church. And so I would I would kind of say ah, I don't I just don't see the need for you doing the Lord's Supper even at camp. If, right. Even, I would even say, if there's a uh, ordained. I would ask why not. I would say no. Also, by I way. would ask why not. Why why it, not? It, it's not the local church. But uh-huh. the church, and this is where that's the way I look at it. That is not the local <laughs> church. I mean, that is a parachurch organization. You you have now look. If you're a shut in and you can't get out, right? Yeah. And you've got somebody that needs to come to you. Absolutely, I would not want to take that away from somebody who absolutely can't get out, come into the church, and be right. a part of that corporately. Oh, yeah. But in a camp setting where they're gone for a week. Um, you, you can't wait until they return back to their own church to do that. Well, I just what, don't what, see that. This, Ray, what if yeah. like the, the student pastor, you know, he's an ordained pastor and he has the authority from that local church to um, facilitate the ordinances. Because, you know, the way I see it, the elders facilitate the ordinances and deacons assist. Um, I'm not against deacons baptizing or anything like that, but 
in the best case scenario, I feel, I feel like that's the way it should be done. So if you have an elder there, and let's say they pull the students from their church separately into another setting, just them, then technically you have a, a sizable group from that local church. Now it is corporate. It is corporate. Location in the sense doesn't that, matter. Yeah, right, but that's it's, what corporate, I was say. it's corporate in the sense of you're in a group here, mm-hmm. but you've still taken that away from the church as a whole. I mean, I, I would think that if if one of our children got baptized at youth camp, mm-hmm. um, yes, we're going to celebrate. It. I mean, right. if that's something that you're okay with, whatever, either. I would say not baptize them. Let them come back to the yeah. church, and I can see, I can because, see where you're coming from. You know, from. Yeah. Th- this is the body of Christ mm-hmm. gathered together, not just youth, not just children, whatever it is. Would you say that's this a is preference that you have, or do you feel like that's really something that we need to, you know, make it, on a, a personal level? Yeah. I would make that a standard I gotcha. on a personal level. Okay, that, yeah. that's me yeah. too. So mm-hmm. my argument is, uh, do this as often as you gather, right? So how how does scripture define a gathering of the local church? I don't think that uh, you know youth camp, small group, me sitting in my living room with my kids. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of those things constitute a gathering of the local church. So <laughs> the, it, so the local church, the local <laughs> yeah. church are believer baptized believers in Jesus Christ who have mm-hmm. covenanted together as a local body who are gathered for corporate worship on the Lord's day. So technically, you'd be saying it would need to be a regularly scheduled worship service. Yes. Uh, with right. with the membership present, with the leaders present. Um, if you think about baptism as a... So, for instance, we've talked about... We, we've got a river up the road here. We've talked about maybe the next time we do baptisms, even though we have a baptistry here, maybe do it out in the river as a public witness to the community, to those who are coming by in the park of what's going on over there. Well, this person's professing Jesus as their Lord publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think location, like in a certain building, it has to be that way, but I think context is important in the sense that... Uh, those people that witness that baptism are also going to be the ones that have to vote that person in for church membership. Mm -hmm. And so it's important for them to say, I have seen this person publicly confess Jesus and I'm, I'm, I am voting on them to come into church membership and to be a part of our covenant fellowship because I've seen this testimony. Mm -hmm. Seeing a video of a a youth camp is not, is, is not the same. And that's not the gathered church. That is a, that is that are believers that are gathered, Mm -hmm. but that's not the same as, the, as the gathered church. And so I, w- I would say I would not want to want to do baptism or the Lord's Supper outside of the context of that that normal, regular worship service. Otherwise, you could have a Sunday school has. class that says, hey, somebody in our Sunday school class just right. got saved and, and they want to be baptized. Hey, let's get together at the... Y'all fill up the baptistry. Let's get together at the river next well, week, I, and we're going to have ar- a cookout and, mm, and baptize them in right. the river. Amen. <laughs> well, I would argue one thing, Ben, is that um, in terms of membership, because you did mention the vo- the voting aspect, I'm not sure that voting on church membership is biblical. I think even with um, Peter at Pentecost, you know, when they um, when they added to the church, I think it was three thousand. Um, they repented and were baptized. Right? How did they know it was three thousand? I don't know. They kept numbers. Somebody was counting. Well, some, some somebody kept yeah. numbers. So well, there's a roll but somewhere. But does that mean they voted? Well, yeah, there because I think yeah, if you're looking from a voting right. perspective, then you would need. Did the they whole use church. Robert's rules? No, but there had to be a process uh, for. It, we know for sure there was a process for exit because there's commands for church discipline. Sure. Oh yeah. So when Paul tells the Corinthians, "You need to put this man out," mm-hmm. there was a process for that. Now the process might have sure. been 
one of the elders says you need to get out and the rest of the church is like, yeah, get out of here. Maybe that's their process, right. but there was a process. So the, the front door might've been more open. Uh, See, that's what I wanted because I mean, if, if the front door is very structured and it is, it does require a vote of the membership, then it would be wrong in my perspective to, to do just a youth outing where the student pastor is over it or a senior citizen trip where a senior pastor, the senior citizen pastor, whatever's over it. But if you're not then, but but if you take the voting out of it, then you still have all of the basic necessities to, in my opinion, to verify and authenticate that. I would say, I would say that I would say that in our in our cultural context, Mm -hmm. voting is necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether it's uh, explicitly biblical or not, no, I don't know. I don't know of a verse that says you have to vote a person into church membership. I think the only two at the same at the same time. Uh, you don't really need to vote a person in the church membership into China either because nobody's lining up at the door to sign up to go to jail. That's exactly right. So I think it's a, I think culturally uh, there has to be a higher bar for entry in America because there's so much false conversion. Sure. It's sure. basically just kind of a safety mechanism. So I don't know that it's chapter and verse, right. but I think it's wisdom. I would say it's a wisdom right. issue. And I, I can um, understand that. So, sure. so to cir- circle back around, because we're ready. a little bit over, I'm but ready. I got a couple more. <clears throat> I'm, ready. Um, I'm trying to think. Can I, I, can I get my point? Adam's in? about yes. to bust. Yeah. Can I get you my you one? Go for it. I'm kind of out, baby. All right. So, <laughs> church location doesn't matter. The, the location means nothing. The church is a people. Amen. Right. Um, and like what the my, the thought process is is like if somebody is like you said an elder from the church. Or, or a pastor from the church, if the youth pastor's there and they do the baptisms there, I would celebrate that. Now, would I say, let's wait till you get back so we as a as the whole body could celebrate? Sure. But would I say, well, that's wrong? No. Because, I again, believe and be baptized. But that's, you're talking about proactive versus reactive. <clears throat> you're, you're saying that you your reaction would be celebratory, but your your proactive approach would be come on back. You hear yeah, what you're saying? Yeah, but I. Yeah. But then again, you're you're going to have to define, like you said, the context. Yeah. Okay, so then you're going to have to define. Okay, well, there's, it's all youth. Well, you've got to have some adults. Well, how many adults do you? I mean, you you get into this weird. You got you got to find it here. Yeah, and this it's not there. Be standard, and I understand that the church, though, has put it in their bylaws or something. Right. Then you are held to that because yes. you, as a member, have covenanted with that church. But as far as scripturally speaking, it's kind of what I'm saying. Scripturally speaking, it would be very hard for me to find somewhere where that would not constitute the growth of the New Testament church situation. would have been impossible having that approach. The the requirement in Matthew 18 for church discipline is where two or three are gathered, which is the context of that, by the way. Right. If people look at church it up, discipline, you're correct. Right. It's yes. not it's not <laughs> something about invoking like the spirit of Jesus correct. or some garbage like that. Yep. What he's saying is, is that if if two or three of you have covenanted together and you're in agreement that this person is sin and, and sin and has to be removed, then I'm in agreement with you also. Right. And so, you can there. There's an argument that can be made. Right. It, you know, if two or three gathered is representative of the church, if that is a strong enough requirement for discipline, it should be a strong enough requirement for the ordinances, such as baptism or the Lord's Supper. Correct. Well, and, and you and I have had this discussion about the church. You know, we've had this debate because I I would view what we're doing here as church. You would say no. Yeah, but, I would say no. <laughs> but 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 let me say this: we could call you into church, discipline. Could we not? No. See, I think we could. What what authority do you have to do anything to me? 
We couldn't excommunicate him though, could we? Because you can't we're not part of the right. church, right? Well, you can't you can't refuse me at the table. You can't say my baptism is invalid. You you can't remove me from church membership. You can't check his tithing records. <laughs> I just I just think I think things, we could yeah. though. I think like if I was in I, I sin, you, you could, could call, come to me and I say think you could call him out. You, you can you hold one. You can hold one another. Iron sharpens iron as a friend or a brother. Right. Yes, but, but not you couldn't in a follow that process in a broader sense. Yeah. Something that yeah. would actually hold. And the see, there's the difference between the universal church, right, and the local Correct. church, right. And, and that's that's where right. I'm getting at. You, you, if you're talking about universal church and you're opening it up to that. Yeah, then we could all do all of those things. And we have the right to rebuke each it, other. It, yeah, so it's the same the, thing as like I would not let any of you guys baptize someone into membership in my church. Right, right. Now that doesn't mean that I think you're a bad pastor or something because of that, but it's our local church that our Correct. local church members are voting on. And that's a bylaw. So it needs to be the elders yes. of that local church. So you have the primary standard of scripture. And then as long as the bylaws do not conflict or contradict Scripture, then you can add standards from a local level. You can add those bylaws. Which are wise. We would all agree yeah. that's right. wise. Oh, it's yeah. more of a wisdom issue, not well, necessarily because the Bible's not Bible detailed issue. enough to run a local church, in my opinion. I mean, it's it's it gives us the, the broad parameters, right. but we need the specifics, right. okay? But I think if your church wants to say baptism should only be done in regularly scheduled worship services— then, hey, I think that's great, and that's what should be abided by by all the pastors and staff and members of that church. And then if they do go to camp and they baptize a a youth at camp, then you rebuke them for going outside the bylaws, and according to this church, that was not an actual baptism. you know. But other churches may say that's fine, as long as it's under the authority of the local church Mm -hmm. and an elder's I don't think we have anything for baptism in in that regard. I don't think we have anything that says it has to be done... Here, there. Well, I want to go back to Lord's Supper because yeah. we can do a whole other episode. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I will, yeah, I will, yeah. I will, uh, I will plug my blog <laughs> real quick. I did, I did my first blog in a long time uh, oh, nice. last week, uh-huh. and uh, it's called the corporality uh, of the church, or or a, a corporal, corporeal worship is uh, what it's talking about. Um, you can go to the blog. It's reform.faith is the okay. website, um, and it's talking about. Uh, the argument of us having uh, having to worship God, body and soul, uh, and without you can go read that blog. We could do another episode on that if we want, but in that I would make an argument uh, against uh, virtual communion. I would say virtual communion is not communion because you may be worshiping spiritually, but you are not worshiping physically. And because metaverse, God, metaverse, yeah, it, it actually it actually it well, deals, would that be a Hebrews ten twenty five issue because that really does talk about. Well, it's gathering, ga- it's gathering but the text that so, I'm using is for is First John one through ten. Okay, you know that which we have seen and heard, which we have touched. Okay, uh, you know uh, uh, we do not have have a virtual Messiah. We do not have a virtual atonement. Mm-hmm. Jesus is not an avatar. Uh, he was he is a human man. Mm-hmm. Um, he is body and spirit. God has created us in body spirit and intends us to be in body and spirit so much so that even after this corrupted body, he prepares a glorified body for us. So his intention is for us always to be spirits with bodies. Mm -hmm. So the idea of trying to uh, separate ourselves from our bodies, either 
virtually through something like communion spiritually or through metaverse, through transhumanism, through these other kind of things, is actually uh, separating us from the way that God has made us. Right. I would um, agree with that. And yeah. so uh, we, could, we could go down a whole other trail oh, with yeah. that, I mean, but, I, but yeah. I would say virtual communion is not communion, that that, that doesn't count. Well, how about Lecrae? Let's go back to him real quick. Um, so I, I don't know the context in, in, in which he was doing that or saying that or anything. But my question would be, why is he unable to be a part of a local church to, to, you know, to take communion, to be a part of that process? I or is this something that he's just doing on his own, on the road, whatever it may be? I, I would hope that he's in a local church. Uh, I would hope that he is. And that maybe this is just something he felt like he was doing in his own uh, personal life spiritually. Maybe he was trying to make a commitment to the Lord yeah. or something like that. I would just say theologically, it has a lot of problems. Right. He's, he's not with the gathered church. So there's no accountability. It's not being administered by an elder, which I would argue is a problem. Um, uh, he's not, I would say, probably not using appropriate elements. Um, so, I mean, I would just right. say there, there's a host of issues. I think the intention there might be, you know, and not only that, but like when you're doing something that's causing you to, to contemplate it, why do you feel like you need to point that out on Twitter to everybody yeah. if that's between you and the well, Lord? But I would say also that, that, and like I said, I don't know his context. I don't know his purpose or anything else. But if we're not careful, that could also be disobedience. That that, that could be uh, somebody willfully, yes. you know, departing from the church, doing their own thing. Um I would think that he has every opportunity to be a part of a local church. Even if he's traveling, you know, he can attend a, a, a like-minded church. One of the things that I, I want to say about him particularly lately, I've noticed that he's gone down a path of, uh, and he's used that word deconstruction quite a bit here recently. Not that he's deconstructed his faith and walked away from the faith. Not yet. Not yet, but he seems to be walking further away from where he was. Even his music which was, some would argue, doctrinally sound in the beginning, seems to be getting more worldly, and, and, and the things that he's posting is getting more worldly. So I wonder if this is part of that move away. And so I would need to know a little bit more context of him in particular in his case. But I would say personally, yeah, you don't need to post that on Twitter, but why would you feel like you need to do I would, that on your own? I would speculate that this is just a step of him um, moving out from under accountability. Yeah. I, I, I would suspect that that's just one step in that direction of, I don't need a local church to do this. And and what you're saying is, I don't need accountability anymore. Well, and if I can you've do got questions, which he does, I hope this still counts. If he's got those kinds of questions, if you have that question, don't do it. I think that's a rhetorical question, yeah. though. I, oh, I, I, think I know what, it well, is. I think what he's saying is guys like Owen Strainer are going to say it doesn't count, and he's basically saying I do what I want, which, again, is, right. not, is not the right attitude to have with anything. But he so, automatically cr created a dividing line when he said that. Right. Uh, and, and, of course, you see the replies on that. Which is the reason that. why well, Twitter exists. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think he, it could be <laughs> ignorance? Um, Do you think he knows that I would, it should be under the authority would, of a local church? I would normally think so, except for the fact that some of the other things that he said indicates to me that he's actually uh, pretty knowledgeable about theology mm -hmm. and some of the people he hangs around with. And so I'm like, my guess would be like if he asked Tripoli about it, Tripoli would be like, bro, that doesn't count. Um, <laughs> that 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 would be my guess. But right. um, okay, so I got I'm I'm gonna do two more. 
We're going to go a little over. We've been doing that lately, but that just means we're having good conversation. And hey, uh, man. I don't clock right. out until five anyways. So, um, so, uh, who, who is in charge of the Lord's Supper? Specifically Lord's Supper baptism, but let's tr- try to focus just on the Lord's Supper. Is there is there a, a right person or a wrong person to administrate? In other words, like I'm a dad. Can I just give my kids or like like I have baptized kids, can I just give them communion at home or can my wife and I take communion together or can a deacon come and do it or does, does it have to be a pastor handing the bread? Um, is there, uh, do you guys think that there's a biblical requirement when it comes to communion of like who is the one leading or serving communion? What do you think? Biblically? Yeah. Preferably. Yeah, I don't know that there's a biblical. I got a Bible verse, by the way, so bring you better bring it. something let's, good. Let's go. Let's hear your Bible verse first. He doesn't want to say it first. <laughs> the, uh, he wants to hear your response first. I, 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 <laughs> the 1689 says that uh, that communion and baptism should be administered by elders. And the, Wait, t- is the that te- biblical? The text, the biblical text that it uses <laughs> hey. is 1 Corinthians 4, 1, where Paul says, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And so their interpretation is that the mysteries of God would be baptism and the Lord's Supper, right. that elders are stewards of that, and that that's how people should regard them, mm-hmm. as they have they have a stewardship over the Lord's table and over baptism that a regular church member doesn't have. Right. So that's the argument that the 1689 may, makes, and I agree with that. Well, I think... I agree you, with Paul, I should say. Yeah, sure. I mean, when you, when you look at the understanding that an elder is a shepherd, and you think about the flock... It's very difficult for someone who's not the shepherd to oversee something that the flock is doing, you know, a dad or whatever. It just doesn't have that authority. It just doesn't have, you know, what's needed to do that, in my opinion. Um, I think that verse would stand out very well. But I think if you look, think about an elder being a shepherd and him overseeing his flock, I just don't think that would be a natural progression to let anyone else oversee the flock and something like that. So you wouldn't let anybody other than a pastor baptize or serve communion? What I would say is, is preferably an elder, both of them, facilitate both of those. If if an elder is not available, then a deacon. But I would not want to go anywhere outside of that. Okay. Yeah, because both of those men have been approved by the local church and there is a; those are offices of the local church, and I believe they are ordained by God. So I, I think, preferably an elder. An elder is not available; a deacon. But I would not go outside of that. <laughs> Ray, Ray, what do you what do you think? Is there is there a certain person that has to oversee the Lord's Supper, or can it be just anybody? I, I would essentially agree with Ben. I I, I think that um, it needs to be an elder if at all possible. Right. Um, there may be a situation occasionally that could arise. Now, I, I would say I would lean a little bit more towards if an elder is not available, it would be better to, to wait until one is available. Don't to, do it. To be able, to, and really, to what circumstances would they yeah. ever be where one is not? I right, mean, and, and, that's, you know, and that's the thing yeah. about it. It's almost like um, a, a church that's without a pastor and deacons step up and become elders. Right. right. To me, that's not a good idea. Um, this if, may be part of the reason why called. that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And, and so, you know, they say, well, well, we 
or we don't have enough deacons or we don't have enough elders or whatever. We're supposed to have these numbers. And, and they begin asking these questions. So they say, well, we let other people do the work of that office instead because we didn't have them. I would say you need to pray that God would provide people in that place mm-hmm. to be able to provide that for you. Um, and so I would lean more towards maybe a little bit stricter that it needs to be within the confines of an elder of the church that would lead that, if at all possible. I don't know that um, God would condemn us necessarily if a deacon were to to do, you know, uh, maybe a baptize, uh, maybe a deacon baptizing their own child or something like that. Um, but if we want to do, when when Paul is addressing the churches. Um, He's addressing the elders, typically, of the church. Correct. And when he's given all of his his commands and straightening out things and everything else, he's talking to the elders constantly. Mm-hmm. He's he he might mention deacons mm-hmm. occasionally, but he's basically talking to the elders and telling them what to do and how to do it, how to correct things and that sort of thing. And so I think even Paul's example there kind of leads us to believe or leads me to believe that the elders should be in those roles uh, doing that if, if at all possible. Right. So here, so I'm thinking through this, would you guys be okay? I'm just playing this through my head. Let's say that uh, Ray, you had a guy or one of you guys had a, has a manning in his church, godly man, not a deacon, not an elder. <clears throat> His child comes to know Christ. He leads him to Christ. Would you be okay with that father baptizing the child under your leadership? That's a good question. No. You would say no. I didn't baptize my own child when he came to Christ. I had another elder do it for that exact reason. My question is, is what are your teaching? Oh, because you weren't. Because he's not because the child was already under my government, but because he was coming under the government of the church, he had to be baptized. But you weren't an elder at the time. I was. I was in the water, well, be, but I wasn't the one that baptized But would you him. constitute your authority being your hands touching the person, so putting them under bread, or is your authority just you saying that's I, okay to I, do I, I the think, church? I think there's latitude there. Okay. Pers- that's personally, what I'm saying. Yeah. personally yeah. my conviction is that the elder himself should be the one performing the baptism. Right. But I understand the argument that, that it can be under that leadership. So I don't I don't think that it would be like a sin, you know, for somebody to have a so dad. So like do if that, that dad came to the elder and said but I wouldn't do that. Right, I see. But yeah. he said, can I do this? And you have authenticated the the regeneration of that person. Then he says, go ahead and do it. Then you are essentially doing it under the authority so, of the right. and that's, well, see, and that's my... I, I've had a baptism where I baptized a father and his child. Okay. Okay, at the same time. Uh-huh. Um, I baptized the father first. Uh-huh. And then I asked him to stay with me. In the water. He was on in the water mm-hmm. on the other side mm-hmm. of the child. As I was baptizing, he had his hand on one side. I had my hand See, on the other cool. side. I like that too. Yeah. And and yeah. for me, that was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, where I think that I would I would not be as comfortable. And and this is the thing about it: what are we teaching our kids about the church? Right. You know, are we teaching them that there is a a biblical government within the church? That there are church offices? That mm-hmm. there is particular authority? that God gives certain people uh, as they serve in the church. Um, so if I'm standing on the shore and the dad walks out with the child and just baptizes the child, 
uh, to me, that's almost making the child look at the father as if they're right. They it's, have it, that authority that you know. It's as, blurring uh, the lines. It's blurring between the lines. family government and church government, which right. is the reason why I say, like, for me, right. when my oldest son was baptized, I was present there, but I I made it clear to him. I already have authority over you because I'm your father. Correct. But this man that's about to baptize you is your pastor, mm -hmm. and this church has authority over you, and you're under the discipline of the members of this church. Right. And you don't get a free pass because you're my kid. And, and, that, and that was part of the, the conversation there. But, like, for the Lord's Supper, mm -hmm. um, I don't have a problem with uh, deacons passing trays or, or serving trays because an elder is the one reading the scripture, fencing the table, like providing the administration there, and the deacons are just kind of carrying out sure. that. Yeah. And I don't so I would any, say that's yeah. the same as like having a dad or a deacon or somebody right. else baptized under the authority of everyone. Now, like I said, my preference would be to not do that. Like mm -hmm. I would rather uh, a pastor be the one to baptize somebody. But I think the logic there is similar, and like I would right. be okay. I don't think it would be a sin for somebody to do that. The same way is if somebody got their juice out of a tray I was holding versus a tray a deacon was holding, I don't think that that's a There's sin. No now, I think if you've got elders that are the ones holding out the trays and the deacon's the one giving all the instructions and doing all the shepherding, right. I think that's probably an yeah, issue. Yeah, that's backwards. Or a church member or whatever. Yeah, that's definitely backwards. So I got, I I got like one more question I want to ask, which is like the one, when everybody heard this was the Lord's Supper, like this is probably the question they're going to ask, so we got to do it before we're done. <laughs> So three main views on the Lord's Supper, right? Transubstantiation. Like every Baptist that like knows a little bit of theology knows this word because it sounds really cool. Yep. Transubstantiation, right? The substance uh, of the elements of the communion are transitioning. Uh, they are transubstantiated. Um, in other words, in, in Roman Catholicism, when the priest holds the elements up and prays over them in his magical incantation... Uh, they change literally into physical flesh and literal blood, right. and uh, the people who receive that are eat are, are cannibals. Um, so, uh, which is why the church was accused of doing that is because they were teaching that kind of doctrine. So that's transubstantiation. I don't think any of us are there. No. You have consubstantiation, which which moves a little bit over. And from from what I can tell from talking to Lutherans, they don't even necessarily agree on what this means. But basically, Luther wanted it to be a little like Catholic light. Um, so uh, consubstantiation is that uh, the word con meaning with there, that this presence of Christ, uh, at, where we would say real presence with transubstantiation. He's really there. His body is really there. Consubstantiation would say there is a real presence there that is in, with, and under the elements, but the elements themselves are not changed. So in other words, you are still drinking wine and eating bread, but spiritually it it, it really is Jesus' body, um, even, even though you're not doing that. Then you would have uh, the, the far extreme of that would be uh, Zwingli's view of memorialism, which is where your average Baptist falls into, which is basically... Nothing magical is happening with the bread and the juice. Uh, there's no magical prayers you have to do or anything like that. It's just bread and juice, and it's symbolic of the body and blood of Jesus. And so you're not eating or drinking Jesus. You're not going to accidentally spill Jesus on the floor. Like, you know, uh, have leftover none Jesus. of that stuff. Yeah, like, you like you know, you don't have those kind of issues. Um, they would have that. And then you have kind of the, the Reformed, uh, Calvin view, which is kind of in between consubstantiation and memorial, which is basically spiritual presence that uh, Jesus' body is not connected to the elements at all. 
but but spiritually he is present in uh, the partaking of communion. So not necessarily in the elements, but in that act of taking communion that Jesus is spiritually present um, there in the act of taking communion. So now that I kind of laid those out where people want to know where they are, where, where, where are you guys at? Where would you say, where would you say you fall? Um, If you're a Catholic, I don't, I'd go historical. You probably can't be in this grouping. I would go historical. Historical? You said transubstantiation? Memorial. Memorial. What did I say? You said historical. (laughs) Historical. I I was like, so you're a Roman Catholic now? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, that's where I would be. Memorial. Because we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit anyway. The only Hail Marys that Adam believes in is in football. (laughs) Hey, man. Well, and and I I would agree. Memorial is few. This do in remembrance of me. So, so would you guys say that anything is happening spiritually during communion? I would say individually with the person, especially if they are listening to First Corinthians 11, they are allowing the Holy Spirit to evaluate them. But I would not say that the Lord's Supper makes that more special or different than if they were to open their heart to the Holy Spirit any other time. Right. Okay. I think really it's just a let me think back. To what he did. To reflection. Let, let me focus on this intentionally. And in doing so, of course, it brings about repentance. And I see what you're saying there, I, and I understand that. I don't know that the Lord's Supper, though, enhances that in any way, is what I, I guess okay. what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Right. So you're saying individually the person could do that just like any in prayer, sure. anytime that they were responding to the Lord, but there's nothing particular about that ceremony that is. That doesn't trigger correct. the. Well, I guess correct. it's not going to trigger the Holy Spirit. Correct. He's, I mean, he's I already it, there in, right. in you. Should be, hopefully. And hopefully in the church, <laughs> or you don't need to be going there. Right. You know. Yeah. Ray, what do you think? Are you a Lutheran? <laughs> <laughs> No, I would probably lean more towards what they're saying as well. Um, I mean, I do see it as a as a very important moment. Um, I think if we're not careful, that memorial idea can be just something like, "Oh yeah, I mean, Jesus died on the cross," and you know, if if we're not careful, we can right. just kind of let that go by with a, a little less power uh, than than what it should be. And so maybe I'm kind of teetering between the two, maybe. Uh, I'm with them on the sense of the Holy Spirit, uh, not that that's necessarily going to uh, bring about the Spirit's presence any different. than You know, I'm hoping that and praying that when we're uh, being a part of that, that the Spirit of God is working on individuals. I I mean, I pray for that beforehand. Yeah, I, I want... God to work on their hearts. I want God to bring conviction to their souls, whether they're believers or non-believers, um, that they would repent of their sin and, and turn back to Jesus and that sort of thing. And I believe that the Spirit of God does work. I mean, I've seen that over and over and over again. But I, I don't know that it would be, you know, any particular uh, more so than than uh, any other time in the life of the church. Um, I will say this, though. I mean, I... I look at it a little bit like, you know, there's uh, altars of memorial in the Old Testament. You know, you've got these moments where God says, you know, hey, build up these twelve stones. Yeah. You know, you're and and so I think this is this is one of those uh, and and the most important I would say altar of memorial that that we would have in in our spiritual walk with Christ. Um, you know, they would build up these memorials basically. You know, anytime you go by there. You're remembering what God did in this moment for this battle for you know whatever it was, uh, and He tells us to remember those things. 
you know, and, and cherish them in your heart and, and just remember what God's done. I think that this is the ultimate memorial. I, I would elevate that beyond any other memorial in, in our lives, um, that, that we would remember not just what uh, Christ has done for the world, but for us individually. Uh, and so that, that to me is, is kind of the, where those ultimate altar of memorials kind of lead up to for me would be the, the climax there. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I, I would hold to more of a spiritual presence view. So uh, I believe that the Lord's supper is one of the ordinary means of grace. And by that, I mean that there are certain things that scripture says that God uses to grow us in our faith through obedience and through uh, faith. And by faith, I don't mean uh, uh, theological knowledge. I mean, actually, work, as Paul would say, working out our salvation of uh, doing works of obedience because of what we believe. And so, uh, for instance, I would say baptism is an, ordin an ordinary means of grace. Well, how, how, is, how is that ordinary, ordinary means of grace? It's one, you're being obedient to what you've been told to do. That you need to, We're supposed to go into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them. Notice the baptism comes first, Presbyterians. Um, now, when you say ordinary means of grace, are you talking about a source of grace? Yeah, So, and, and let me clarify that because a lot right. of people misunderstand what I mean right. by that. So I'm not talking about saving grace. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, th I think that when you look at grace, the, the, the way that grace is used in Scripture— it's broader than most Baptists understand it. So your average Southern Baptist today, when they hear grace, they think justification. They think, uh, I receive grace, uh, which is unmerited favor is simply what it means. It's God's favor that we haven't earned. I received that when I trusted in Christ and I was saved. I was forgiven of my sins and I was given God's grace. I was given an inheritance in Christ, right? Totally agree with that. That's fine. Mm. But the Bible also clearly indicates that uh, God offers us more than even just salvation. Paul's very clear that there are rewards, there are these other things that you can be a babe in Christ or you can be mature in Christ. So there's obviously some kind of scale that God has that's not pertaining to salvation, but it is pertaining to sanctification of some people uh, grow more in their walk with Christ than others do. So the question is, what are the means by which they grow in that grace, in that sanctifying grace that God gives them? Uh, and I would say the ordinary means are, are uh, regular things that the Bible prescribes that God has an attachment for His grace to. So, for instance, um, you know, given, given, helping out a poor person is a great thing, but I don't know of any like real promises in Scripture that seem to indicate that helping a poor person, you know, once a week is going to automatically make you a better Christian. However, uh, the Bible commands us to to come together and sing songs, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So I think there's a command there that if you want to be a mature Christian, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs on Sunday is will make you a better Christian. Say that three times fast. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it will make you a better Christian because the Bible says it will. Um, being baptized, you know, if, if you say that you're a Christian and, you're, and you uh, have not followed through with baptism, that is actually affecting your sanctification, not your salvation, because you're not saved by being baptized. But it is affecting your walk with Christ. And so you're not going to be able to be mature in Christ. This is like I tell people all the time. Uh, uh, corporate worship on the Lord's Day, I think, is, is an ordinary means of grace. How many mature, solid Christians have you met that don't regularly gather with the people of God? You meet that person, well, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Yes, that is factually true, but you will always be a one-week-old baby in Christ. Mm-hmm. If you're even saved at all, if you have no love for God's people, you're probably not even saved. But if you are saved, 
you're you're very infantile uh, in your faith with that kind of attitude. Sure. Um, so ordinary means of grace, singing, uh, prayer, right? The, we're commanded to go to the Lord in prayer. It's it's a fact. Every time you pray, you grow a little bit more in Christ than you did before. It may not even be noticeable over time, but it is overable, uh, uh, noticeable uh, cumulatively. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, the the more that I pray in a year, the more that that year is going to be a, a year of growth for me spiritually. Um, the preaching and reading of the Word. One of the reasons why we preach every single Sunday is because the Word of God doesn't return void. So there's there's a promise there in Scripture that the more that I hear the Word of God, the more that I read it, the more that it's preached to me, the more I will grow in Christ. The difference between somebody who has listened to preaching for five years and somebody who's listened to preaching for five minutes is a pretty big difference if the Bible is being preached and it's because it's a means of grace. God's uh, showing them favor through that and is inc- strengthening them spiritually and raising them up. So I would make the argument that the Lord's supper is one of those ordinary means of grace, which is also the reason why we practice it weekly. You don't say, well, we're only going to preach once a month. Or we're only preaching four times a year, or we're only going to sing four times a year, or we're only going to pray four times a year. So why would you only take the Lord's supper four times a year? If it's a means of grace. Now, if it's, if that's not where you're at in your theology, then it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. But if you think that the that when he says do this in remembrance of me, and that there, there obviously are curses there of if you don't do this the right way, you're eating and drinking judgment. Well, what does that mean? That means that if you are observing it in the correct way, that it's blessing mm-hmm. instead of judgment. So, how many blessings do we look at and just say, you know, no, Lord, I don't want to receive that blessing this week. Right. I'll receive that next month. Right. And so, if there's a blessing there, if if the Lord has said when you come together and you have fellowship with one another and with me in Christ, uh, then I'm going to bless you and I'm going to grow you as a Christian through that process. Uh, bring it on. Like, let's do it as much as we can do it uh, for the purpose of that spiritual growth. So I don't think there's anything magical about bread and juice. I don't think uh, there's any magical prayers or, or any of that kind of stuff. Mm. But I do think that the act of obedience in doing that and and, and doing it biblically is, is a spiritual blessing that Christ does have a spiritual fellowship with the person who's taking communion that he doesn't with the person who's not taking communion, that there is a, a spiritual benefit to taking it, and that over a long period of time, uh, that person will will grow more spiritually than the person who doesn't. So, you know, you can have uh, somebody who, you know, exercises once a month and somebody who exercises one, once daily both of them can be pretty healthy people, but one of them is going to be healthier than the other one. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's my, that's basically kind of my argument for weekly communion. Well, I would say we wouldn't disagree. I wouldn't disagree with what you said. <clears throat> I just think, and I think you would say it's the work of the Holy spirit, right? And sanctifying us. It, it's, it's the work. So, so here's the thing as a, as a good Calvinist, salvation is monergistic. That's all God. He does all of it. Sanctification is synergistic, though. It, it is us working together with the Holy Spirit because uh, when God decides to save somebody, he saves that person. He's not asking for permission, just like he didn't for Paul or uh, Jonah or anybody else. He does what he wants. So when God decides to save somebody, that's all him. Mm. But after that person is saved, Paul clearly seems to indicate that there are things that you can do that will grow you in your relationship with Christ, which means your sanctification does depend on you. So you're not you're not going to get to the end, and the Lord's going to say, uh, you know, I'm casting you out because you just didn't you didn't uh, meet the requirement in order to get in. Like if you're in his family, you're in his family. But he might say, hey, you know what? This person's receiving uh, treasure in heaven over here that you're not getting. It's not because I love you any less. It's not because I didn't save you, but it's because you didn't you didn't do what was required for the treasure in heaven. Um, and so so I would say that uh, 
sanctification is synergistic. Like we we have to do things in order to grow in Christ. We don't have to do things to be in Christ. That's something that God decides. But we do have to do things to grow in Christ. And I'd agree with that. And take and taking the and taking the Lord's supper is one of those things. Well, yeah, I would agree but, but we have to think about what is grace. You know, so if we if we distinguish the grace of salvation differently than the grace, like you were saying, ordinary means of grace. One is all God, but the other is. It kind of almost sounds like partially up to us to get that ordinary means of grace. So we're we're earning the ordinary means of grace essentially because we're having to act to receive it. Yes. Um, what? But that's not connected to your salvation. True, but is grace the same in both situations? Oh, you're you're saying are you earning it by doing a work in order? Yeah, because grace it? is essentially receiving those good things that we don't deserve, but. But if I, I if I partake of the Lord's Supper obediently, then I'm essentially deserving it, right? Well, I think there's a difference in, in grace when he's saying, well, uh, you know, a particular grace and ordinary means grace. And when right. you start getting into that's those a, that's details, a fair, that's, that's a fair that's question. A right. So what I what I would say to that is this: uh-huh. the things that we do uh, for the ordinary means of grace are commands in Scripture. Okay. So. Uh, there doesn't have to be a reward associated with that. God just tells you to do it, and you have to do it. Okay, it's like it's like the law, right? You know, if you lie, you broke the law. Like it's like there's no reward for telling the truth all the time necessarily. There's a punishment for lying. So it's like God doesn't owe us anything. You're expected to do that, exactly, yes, sir. Yes. So the fact that we receive a spiritual reward from that is still unmerited. So so okay. so yes, we may be doing the work of obedience, but the gift that we receive is still an unmerited gift because God he he doesn't have a contract with us where he says if you take the Lord's supper with a right heart, then you've earned this spiritual blessing. He's just saying you if you're going to obey me, you're going to do this, and because of my goodness, I will actually give you. So it's right. not transactional, so I you guess. Deserve is what I'm it to begin with. So right. anything he gives you above and beyond is great. Right. If I tell my kids to clean their room, it's like, listen, I'm not going to give you a candy bar because you clean your room. The command is that you clean your room. Now, if I give you a candy bar every time you clean your room, you're not earning that. I just decided to give that to you because I love you. Right. But the require but the requirement is still there. Right. And so it's the same thing as you know, gathering, singing, praying, uh, giving to the church. By the way, is, is a means of grace. Right. You know, a lot of people they don't want to talk about uh, giving in the church or whatever. The reality is, you can't be a mature Christian if you're not giving to the church. Right. That's that's just Bible. You know, people don't like to talk about that, but when you talk about all those kind of things, it's like you know, how many pastors are like, we're only going to take off an offering quarterly. Right. You know, but they'll do it with the Lord's Supper. You know, uh, when we're having when we're having fellowship with Him. So it, it's kind of a systematic thing. There's a sure. lot. There's a lot of theological sure. pieces there that have to kind of come together. And I could be totally wrong. I mean, I was still yeah. learning a lot no, about it. I appreciate it. that. And I appreciate your your perspective. I guess I'm just trying to wrap my mind around kind of what you're saying because I it was hard for me yeah. when, when I first heard somebody talk about ordinary means of grace I was like this sounds kind of Catholic I don't really feel comfortable with it right, right. you know it sounds like a merit system and yeah. and having to explain it of you know your your salvation is all is all you but your mm-hmm. sanctification like you do play a role in that you can't just sit on the couch you're right and not do what the Bible says and expect to just become a mature Christian you can be a Christian that way yeah. because God's the one that saves you you can't be a mature Christian that way. And so when you hear Paul talk about, you know, he's running his race to win a prize, mm-hmm. you know, that, that he beats his body into submission, that he's he's obviously working very hard to try to fulfill this calling that the Lord has given him. Amen. He had a choice in that, right? right? So I'm a Calvinist, but I, that doesn't mean I believe people are robots. So he, uh, Paul, Paul had the decision of, 
do I obey and go preach this gospel or do I do this thing? Now, when he got saved, he didn't have a decision because he was blind because um, God knocked him off his horse. So he didn't have a whole lot of choice in that scenario. But in his obedience, you know, he 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 had options there. But Paul urges us to say, hey, r- like run that race. Right. And what I'm saying is, is taking the Lord's Supper regularly is part of running that race. That's basically the point. That it's I'm a making. spiritual discipline. We call it spiritual thing. disciplines. Okay. There we go. Well, yeah. um, you know, when I think about categories, <clears throat> I know you'd mentioned like hymn singing and Bible reading and mm-hmm. all those would also be ordinary means of grace. So what makes an ordinance different? If those are all ordinary means of grace, what would make an ordinance different than singing hymns or reading your Bible or praying? Because there's got to be some sort of a, a, a reason that we elevate baptism in the Lord's Supper. I would say uh, church membership. Okay, so is you, probably the distinction. Okay, I because got you. Uh, the Lord's Supper is something that members do with one another, mm-hmm. and baptism is something that's witnessed by other members and brings you into. And membership. so, like, 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 I can go fellowship at another church and or I can sing with them. Yeah, I, I, I can sing with them. I can listen. <laughs> I can listen to the preaching of the word there. I can have mm-hmm. fellowship with them, right? Mm-hmm. But again, at the same time, my kids aren't going to get baptized in their church. You know, I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to administrate the Lord's Supper in another church that I'm not an elder of. Yeah. And so, uh, those are specific local church ordinances. I think right. that are like within membership. I, see. I would say that's something that sets them apart. You you can sing and take the Lord's Supper and do those kind of things at any church. Um, but when it comes to, to baptism and administrating the Lord's Supper, that's something that can only be in your local church. Or in the context of Paul, Paul Creek, you can only take it if you're a member right. of Paul Creek. Right. Supposedly. <laughs> this, this is exciting. That's it's a like, discussion I'm, that's going to happen this weekend. Yeah, exactly. Ben's we've like, got, uh, we're, we need an emergency deacon's meeting. We've got an elders meeting next Monday, so yeah, this will be on the agenda. Uh, I, I'll, I'll get called in as like the, the consultant, yeah, the we'll expert bring, uh, witness Reverend for, for the elders there. Here. Straighten us out, man. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure they would uh, take that recommendation. <laughs> They're like, this guy? You're going to be kidding me. All right. Well, thank you guys. Very good discussion today. Um, a lot to talk about. We could have talked a lot oh, more yeah, about that. Sure. And and uh, that wasn't even a full episode on baptism. So I'm sure we could even uh, uh, do another one on that later. So uh, for you guys that are uh, listening out there or watching. We're still watching. Um, hey. Yeah. If you're still with us, God bless you. Um, <laughs> you really, you really have people listening right now. You, oh, wow. So you guys Facebook. really have nothing to do. Yeah. I'm right. Hi, Mom. I'll get up there in a minute. She's got the phone and the laptop. At one and the time, TV we on. had ten people. Wow! At one time. Wow. So, so uh, the big time. Yeah, thank you, thank you guys uh, for uh, watching and supporting. Um, again, you can uh, if you're not subscribed, you can subscribe on uh, Facebook. Uh, if you hit your notification thing, it'll let you know when we have a live video come up. Also, this is on Spotify, Apple Podcast, all that jazz. So you can subscribe on there so that whenever we do a new episode, it'll get pushed to your phone. I like to listen to my stuff in the car a lot of times, so I know sometimes audio is uh, better if that's uh, how you work. Uh, as always, feel free to comment. Um, shout out to Michael, our most frequent commenter. I, I would be interested to my see. My man, uh, Michael Pitt. Our yeah. biblical view here. Yeah, I, Michael, t- tell us what your view of baptism is I don't is, think he was uh, listening here. today, or at least he did not. He'll, he'll come and listen later. He's very committed. I miss old Michael. But... Um, but uh and he you, has a real affinity to Ben. Yeah, you know, here lately. Yeah, I don't know. I, I still haven't supplanted Adam. Adam's still he's he's the bright and morning star. But I think um, we're nice on here. I'm nice yeah. on this podcast. Yeah. But for Adam's really hateful when he's not on yeah, TV. Yeah, I don't deal with uh 
<laughs> sucker punches and running. I'm not big on that. So. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, like and subscribe for more drama and uh, and theology. If you, uh, if you have follow up questions or you want to see another episode, uh, let us know about that, and uh, we can we can hook that up. And uh, comment below and tell us maybe maybe you uh, learned something new or maybe you, I think one of us is a heretic now, specifically me, because I probably disagree with everybody, but that's just kind of how God made me. So uh, only God can judge me. No, man. Um, and we will see you. Uh, we'll okay, see you very... next uh, Tuesday at 3 p.m. Lord willing. You can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horsemen. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast and be sure to subscribe and review.